Blog Talk Radio. Muffy can't hear anything, so I think he's popping out and popping back in. It's Tuesday, June 25th, and you're in bed with me, Dr. Sue. Let me set the scene for tonight's fun. There are three what I would call the most fear-inducing kinks. Uh, We've already discussed two of them. One is financial domination, and one is erotic hypnosis. Because letting someone control or extort your money or being under somebody else's control are pretty big when it comes to ultimate submissive kinks. And tonight we're going to tackle the third. Hmm? That's just hot. What's that, Joe? That's just hot. What is hot? Financial domination. Well, it is, but a lot of people don't understand it. And again, a lot of people don't understand medical domination either. And I think I, I got a lot of feedback more so from men saying they were afraid tonight. They're afraid of it. So, yes, tonight we're going to be tackling medical domination. So picture yourself in a small white examination room. You see a standard exam table complete with stirrups and an overhead lamp. Perhaps there's a cart with various instruments on it. You're instructed to strip, then lie down on the table, and a doctor or nurse will be with you in a moment. Now, could be an exam room in any doctor's office. But in this case, it's in the exam room of your dominatrix. Someone who doesn't have to abide by ethics, rules, or Hippocratic oaths. Even in the everyday or vanilla world, let's think about medical stuff. Everyday vanilla world, you had better hope that your surgeon got laid or had a damn good sleep before he slices into you, the sacrificial lamb lying there on the table with your arms outspread, and you're strapped down too. So medical domination can be very controversial, and some might say a dangerous game to play. So if you've had a medical dom session or you've always wanted to know what happens or what goes on, tonight's your night. Get your questions answered by the lovely Mistress Amanda, a dom with over 30 years' experience. So call in now. Get those questions answered. Get in the queue, 646-478-3644. Don't forget, after we have our chit-chat with Mr. Samanda, it's Talk to the Doc. And that's our segment with all kinds of questions about sex and fetish and kink and relationships. Um, Again, 646-478-3644. You are most certainly welcome to call in now if you want to. You can sit in the queue. Joe was more than happy to hold your hand. And we'll get you ready for that. But I know you're shy. Sometimes everybody's shy, and it it can be a very kind of scary subject. So anytime you have a question for the doc, just go to inbedwithdrsue.com, click, if you look up the top row, you'll see a thing that says talk to the doc. Click on talk to the doc, and you can just simply 
fill in your question there and send it in to us. So I am very happy to have, of course, Joe with me, who you've all heard. And we also have Vanilla Girl with us tonight. Hello, Vanilla Girl. Hello. Ashley Jill, who is the pinup queen who just finished doing a whole bunch of pin pictures and just well, threw them on really, Twitter. They're not pin but... Well, they're kind of. Oh, they're... Well, okay. So apparently oh, they're very God. Debbie Harry is what I've been told. Well, you do, they do look very Debbie Harry. I will have to. But Debbie Harry back in her prime, not now. God. Ew, no. I no, it, it's nasty now. But, yeah. So, head to Twitter and check out Ash, Ashley Jill Pinup, and you can see all her latest... Uh, oh, no. Photos that just went actually just literally just went up there. So Joey, you got your ass kicked. Did get my ass kicked tonight. What happened? He goes to a, a personal trainer before he does the show. Oh, I see. So she quite literally kicks his ass. Uh, I don't miss those days. Uh, it's fun. I like to see how far I like can sit down. But I'm like, it can be I like that dude. <laughs> John it can Renee. be fun depending on the trainer. Well, see, he, but then see, Joe being the little pig male that he is, loves the fact that there's women standing there screaming at him and being all dom on him while he's trying to, you know, sweat his ass off. So. Sadly, it's not like that. Sadly, it's not like that. They set me up with like two of the sweetest personal trainers out there. Oh, you're kidding! They're so they're not no. even mean to you. They should be. No, they're like helpful and flirty and sweet. Oh no! See, we don't want that. No flirty and sweet. We want ass kicking bitches. Because really, like Mark just said, personal training and femdom is actually you know it's great. Plus, it's Really close, if you think about it, if you do it right. So, and I have one quick hello. I'm going to say hello to Puplet. Puplet's back, so and I know he's listening. So, hello, Puplet. We're glad you're back. Ta-da. So, Ta-da. other than that, we later on during Talk to the Doc, by the way, guys, there's a whole bunch of stuff on female supremacy that uh, we had several comments come in after the show that I, we're going to be discussing. But right now... I have the honor of introducing a stunning and very experienced true dom, the wonderful Mistress Amanda. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Practically perfect in many ways. (laughs) Oh, practically? No, you are perfect in every way all the time. Oh, you are too kind. I'll just preen (laughs) for that one. So, so tell us about Mistress Amanda before we get chucking into the medical dom scene. Well, I've been in, I've been I'm one of those hardwired people. I've been in the scene since I was about 19. I started on the subby side and then jumped the fence to the dom side a few years later because I thought I could make better decisions than the ones I was uh, receiving. So after uh, completing my nursing education, I discovered that there were all sorts of medical things that could be used in domination and submission, and I've been incorporating them for years. I do a lot of demos for private groups, whatever you'd like to see. I'm happy to do saline, fusions, injections. Everything I do is harmless. I still, even though I'm not bound by ethics, as you said, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I still feel, you know, the you Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. Yes. I have my exactly. own ethics, which is do no harm. 
while I have applied over the years a tremendous amount of, shall we say, erotic discomfort, I've never injured anyone. And I've never hurt anyone any more than they enjoyed. It's just not, it's unacceptable behavior. And anyone who does that or doesn't respect limits and safe words and safe, sane, and consensual doesn't belong in the scene. One of the biggest things that bothers me these days about BDSM is that a lot of people are starting to use it as a cover for abuse. But the difference, as we all know, is consent. Exactly. So when I said not bound by morals and ethics, I'm just simply stating that... Oh, there are no and understand there are it. some unethical doms out there. So you do yes, there are have to a do lot your of research. Please exactly. do your research first. Professional domination is in many ways a personality match and if you can't talk to if you're not comfortable sitting and talking with your dom, if you can't talk to her before the session, you're not gonna be able to talk to her during the session and the time to realize that you should have talked to her a little bit more is not when you're trussed like a Thanksgiving turkey and she has implements in her hand about to use them that are scaring you. That is not the time to say, Maybe we should talk. You but wanna but, have uh, communication. Just on that first. note is actually perfect. Do you not find that fear is a really big factor in it because there's such a fine line between fear and eroticism? Fear is a very big factor depending on what you're afraid of. For example, if you're afraid of needles, like many men are terrified of needles, one of the mm-hmm. one of the things that's really enjoyable that I could do to uh, maybe desensitize you that or just to make you, you know, really, really shake and quiver is to tell you I have a needle in my hand and tell you how sharp it is and touch it to you gently so you can feel the point, so you can feel how sharp it is, at the same time telling you, wow, it's really sharp. And this gets your mind going because I have to touch your mind. Right. It, you know, I, well, if you don't the touch things, the mind, you're not doing your job. Exactly. exactly. 99% of everything we do is mental-oriented. Absolutely. But whereas, you know, your your hooker with a riding crop, as so many are calling themselves doms these days, Mm. is clueless. You know, she screws Mm -hmm. with your body. I screw with your mind. And that is much more enjoyable and much 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 more more delicate of a procedure. Very much so. And medical, first of all, it puts me in an authority position to begin with because you're expected to do as your doctors and nurses tell you to do. Second, I have access to weird-looking, frightening instruments that I know how to use, safe, sane, and consensual, but all you see is the the light glinting off the steel. And you Mm -hmm. know that these things that I'm holding in my hand are sharp. Plus, I have there are lots of solutions that I can apply to tiny, tiny little injuries that make them hurt a lot worse. But again, exactly. it's all it's all in subspace, and some people are so sensitive, particularly those who suffer from white coat hypertension, are so sensitive to medical play that they will go into subspace uh, about as, and when the first time they see you drawing up saline into a syringe. Really, some people. Exactly. Just, oh, some I I have a client who the smell of alcohol makes him you know he just loves the smell of it. I have when before I started seeing, I sprinkled the pillows and everything with rubbing alcohol because that just brings back the smell of the doctor's office, which is highly erotic to him. Very cool. So would you say that most clients that are coming to see a medical dom, is it pain-based or is it just the the major control issue? In other words, you really are giving up control when you're going to a medical dom, like it's big time. You are allowing someone that you don't know, and it's, BDSM is not about pain, first off. It's about trust. Exactly. More than anything else, it's about trust. But it's also about control. So I, let's say someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, I've never had sounds. I want to try sounds. And I'm like, okay. Okay, and let's I will, explain. I, let's stop for a sec because we, we've got people who listen are. in that don't have a clue, okay? So we're going to make sure that they get it. What is a sounds device? 
a sound device is a, it's a uh, it's a it's a set of rods and dilators. They come in many kinds. There's backy sounds, rosebud sounds, flathead sounds. But it's a device that is dropped into the urethra to stimulate the male prostate through the bladder. It's also used for dilation in women where you can dilate the cervix or you can dilate their urethra if you feel like doing that, if they enjoy that sort of thing. It uh, has been described to me by, as feeling like being on the edge of orgasm. Since I don't have a prostate or a penis, I'll never know, and I'm jealous at the looks of her face because it looks like a lot of fun, and I'm never going to know. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes you a great actually, deal of trust. You've got a question there, Ash, that kind of has something to do with the sounds device, the one on the next page. Well, it says... As a guy, I don't see the appeal of urethral sounding, but I want to know what is the appeal. What does the sub feel when this is happening? How do you as a dom feel when performing this on someone if you have? Also, since we are on the topic, safety with this stuff should be mentioned as well. Which we have, obviously. So, and that came in, who wrote that? It said Tag. Oh, Tag wrote that. Okay, cool, because I know Tag is actually listening in. So that I mean, obviously, as as Mistress Amanda just said, we don't know what it's like when we do this to you. It's just yeah, I <laughs> because can't, I can't we don't have those parts. <laughs> I know, but it looks like it feels. They, it has been it described to me by my subs as feeling as though they're on the edge of orgasm from the time I drop it, and I do things to it after I drop it. For example, I'll use a vibrator to make it vibrate. I'll mm-hmm. I'll drop two or three in. I'll twirl them around. I'll make them. I'll use kinetic energy to make them wiggle around inside there, and. I literally see my submissive just shaking on the edge of orgasm for the entire time that I do this. And for many of them who who have done this for the first time, they tell me it is a totally shattering experience because, let's face it, the idea of dropping steel rods into into someone's penis who doesn't know you and didn't know you 20 minutes earlier, but now you have developed such a bond of trust with that is going to allow you to do that, that's a very, very serious responsibility. I take that seriously. I'm very careful about keeping my instruments clean. It is. And I'm very careful about keeping my my instruments perfectly clean. I've never had a problem. Um, I'm very careful to use copious amounts of lube. And, you know, once in a great while, I'll find someone who doesn't enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, then you stop. Absolutely. But you combine this with a lot of other things. What's the point of doing it if you're not having fun? I know. If you're not having fun, there's no point to it. it And if it's not safe, sane, and consensual, it's not right anyway. Now, years ago, Mm -hmm. I was privy to a procedure, which was not legal, obviously, but it was, however, done by a dom who was a physician. Mm -hmm. And... A surgeon. I actually watched a castration, which to wow. me was fascinating. Now, understand, gentlemen, this does not go on with your average medical dom. No, it does Is not. Is it out I there? Get, does, do people like it? Yes. Some guys yes. like the idea of the whole castration. There um, are castration scenes where you, pre- well, where and, you and pretend this is to the do thing. it. I want you, and I think we should talk about this because I've got a... a Actually, Davey wrote in and said, he's a virgin, he's impotent, too small, too soft to penetrate a vagina. I have thought of physical or chemical castration and Depravera shots and female hormones and such. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts? If you know, if he's not if he if he doesn't if he's not a transsexual trapped in the wrong body, then there's no point to that. Exactly. Um, all he's doing the other is thing is guys, castration does not lower your sex drive. Uh, well, actually, actually, unless you get can't, a lot of a, a lot of 
I get so many requests to do this. And first off, it is a huge felony in every state to do this. Any doctor who does absolutely. So don't even go down that road. It is it it is aggravated maiming in most states, which is a 15 year felony. Which is you know, and the other thing is you know, guy for the guys that are interested in this. Well, first off, it's going to put you into menopause. You're going to become osteoporotic. You're going to have all kinds of problems. You're going to gain weight. It's just it's just not a good thing for you. I mean, you're built the way you are for a reason. Long after you lose your sex drive in your 70s or 80s, your testicles are still producing enough testosterone to keep your beard going, your voice deep, and to keep you from getting hormone deficient related maladies. Once you, you know, right. once they're sliced off, then it's like then it's androgel forever if you want to have any kind of a any kind of a drive. Now, without a and without a diagnosis of testicular cancer, then a castration is absolutely viciously illegal and the surgeon that did it risks imprisonment her oh, huge her license and like huge, said, it was huge years ago it was a absolutely huge chance it was so underground and you know like it was just I, I was just actually interested in watching the procedure get done which i found interesting and it was interesting to see the subs reaction i personally think it's ridiculous because when you get into something like that, I think what you guys don't understand is there's a big difference between fantasy and reality. And I really exactly do right. think for some men, their fantasies, just they overtake them and think, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal. This isn't reversible. You know, you can't, no, it is a huge you can't deal. change this stuff. No, you cannot. And it is not reversible. However, many men who have suffered from, te- just on another tack, men who have suffered from testicular mm-hmm. cancer and have had to be castrated because of this, oreectomy, I believe is the correct name for it, um, mm-hmm. with androgel and the hormone replacement, they are uh, very, very, you know, very proficient at leading normal lives with a normal sex life. It's You don't miss it because you have the hormone replacement that takes its place. However, right. it does take a little time to get the androgel mixed, you know, to what you need. To so that works, you don't yeah, uh, have yeah. problems for it. Plus, if you're, you have to keep it away from your female partner because it's very potent stuff. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, she'll start, you know, getting a little bit She'll start getting, yeah, she'll, yeah, she'll get hairy and, and low voice and break out. And these just are not good things. The hormones you were born with are always the best. And try and keep them for as long as you possibly yes, can. This goes absolutely. for women, too. I think exactly. hysterectomies are done far too often. I think all yes, of they this, are. you know, it's just, it's almost like a du jour thing. Ladies, please keep your bits and pieces as long as you can. Absolutely, even, as long as you can. Even getting your tubes tied, I still don't agree with it. I mean, it's easier for M- a man Mother to Nature do it. is very good at her job. <laughs> oh, Mother Nature is very good at her job. Much better so than you. you. That's right, so let her have at it because that's what she does. So it's what, always if a better I way. walk into. Say I phone you and I say, okay, I want a medical dom session, and I'm completely stupidly clueless. I don't have a clue. It's just something I've always wanted to do. Walk me Mm -hmm. through a session, just a typical unknown session. When, when, well, when you arrive, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about, you know, what it is, what it is about you that you find this interesting. What procedures you've had in your life, you know, why, why did you find them erotic? Give and take some kind of history. I'll also take your medical history because I need to know that, you know, you're going to survive the scene. So I'm always very meticulous to take, you know, are you diabetic? If you are, when did you eat last? You know, things like that because. You know, the last thing you need to do is, you know, to work somebody up who's got a, you know, a heart condition or uncontrolled high blood pressure. So you got to make sure they're healthy enough for the session first. That's always the first thing you could ask. Do and you understand, have any the, health- ladies, please, doms, if you're listening in, this has nothing to do with just medical domination. You should be doing this no, for everyone. No, exactly. Everybody, regardless. 
of what regardless you're doing. that's exactly right because if you don't you're going to end up with somebody hanging there dead and since you know and you're the one that's applying electricity to him so when the police exactly. come to take the dead body away they're going to say how did this happen you say well I was shocking him with the electric thing and they're going to say did you ask him about this no well you know guess what now you're going to now you're going to jail for at very best murder too you don't want to buy yep. into this you want to make sure they're going to survive the session and if any time they don't look right Stop the session. Stop the session. It's your life Absolutely. here. Okay. Yes, it's their it's life. It's their life. Yours. It's their life, but it's your life too. Exactly. And you can't. That's a, you know. You kill somebody by accident, and it gives the rest of us a bad name. People, you know, like if you put them in somebody in a bondage bag, then gag them and put a mask over them, you know, put them in a closet and go to lunch for a couple hours, come back, they've suffocated. Okay. Guess what? Exactly. That's called murder. And you don't want to buy into that. And this, you have and to. Be, you have to be, that, you have to be careful. Yeah. Exactly. It, and it gives the rest of us a bad name because it makes headlines like oh, BDSM pervs, you know, killed another one, you know. On the other hand, the only reason it makes headlines is because it happens so rarely. But when it happens, mm-hmm. it's big news, and it makes the rest of the it it shines a very black eye and a very bad light on the rest of the community who are say who when we all do our best to play safe, sane, and consensual, it's crazy not to. Exactly, and this is and and that's it, again. This isn't just medical domination based. No, you any kind of domination. You always check sure on the health. You're checking on your clients. Please check your yes, clients because first, if they don't live, they got to live. Another, they have to live in order to come back and see you again. What's the What's the backbone of any business? <laughs> Repeat business. So you exactly. want them alive, so they can come. Yeah, so they can come see you again. Trust me on this. A dead client you know, is not a good thing. Dead client is and not going to spend any more money with you. Okay, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So okay, so no, okay. you're going to get a, a medical history. You're going to do a history, uh, like even a psychological them, you know, sort of history. Well, I always like I always like to to ask them questions because it helps me to design the scene for them. So I ask them, I'm like, tell me, you know, tell me the experience that you had in your life with in a, with med- tell me about the medical experience that made you want to relive it that you think it's erotic. How did, you know, tell me what happened. What happened? Mm-hmm. And then I always get I usually get a story, well, when I was a little girl or when I was a little boy, you know this. This happened to me in the doctor's office, and I was so humiliated. And but I've ever, I've always thought it was really hot, and I want to try, I want to reenact it. And it's like okay. And some some uh, there's a, and you can add lots of elements into a medical scene. For example, um, I see a couple on a regular basis, and they like he likes he she likes to have what I laughingly refer to as an insurance exam. And um, are there language restrictions? Because I need to quote her. No, go ahead. On what I say, okay. And, yeah, when, and her her big trigger is, you know, as being called a dirty slut. So I try and call her that as much as possible because I know I know that sets her off. But anyway, right. I'm the I'm the twisted insurance nurse coming out to give the exam because she's applied for a policy. Well, we put her up on the table, and of course, since my company doesn't write dirty sluts, I have to check her for, shall we say, unapproved behavior. During this, I add the element <laughs> of interrogation, and I encourage swift answers with, you know, just judicious some little amounts of discomfort. And uh, I usually manage to make her to confess to pretty much everything I want to from, you know, banging the pool boy, and they don't even have a pool, to uh, being the second gunman on the grassy knoll. <laughs> when, when I do an interrogation scene with you, you're going to confess to anything I want you to confess, I promise you, because it's just I'm just really good at it, and I'm very sinister at it when I do this. So then I will leave the room for quote-unquote lab results, and then the next thing I hear is her husband. You know, I can hear the medical table slamming against the wall. You know, God bless him. <laughs> you know, and then when they come out, it's there, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you failed your examination. She's like, I did. And I'm like, yes, yeah, because you're a dirty slut. 
And she's like, oh, God, but I really want this insurance. I'm like, well, you can reply again. Yeah, I said, you can apply again after a waiting period of 30 days. She's like, well, I really want this. I said, well, you better stop banging the pool boy or whatever it is she confessed to. But it's a scene that I repeat. <laughs> I know. It sounds ludicrous, but she, they love it. It's not. This is the thing. I laugh because, because I think it's wonderful, you know. They love it. It's you know it is it is their thing. They have their uh, their little medical room in their home is better equipped than ERs. That but, is you know, this so is what they cute, do and they've made it work for themselves. Well, they like it. It's what it's what they like, and you can you know you can't fault somebody for what they like. It's like having blue eyes. Yeah, you can't. You can't. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, the thing sorry. is, who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares exactly. what they like? Well, you know, I do. Is anyone doing it to you? No, so don't worry about it. You know, like you know, <laughs> exactly. let somebody have some fun. But they are, but you know, medic and medical is such fun. I and mean, I, uh, it's you know, it's amazing how how fearful people are of things that don't really hurt. For example, needle play. I did it on my website. There's a uh, pro dash dominatrix dot com. There's a there's a picture of of a set of angel wings I did on a on a female submissive at a demo. And it looks fierce because each one of these feathers is attached to a hypodermic needle that I pushed through her skin. But she was so into subspace that uh, her her master later told me that she was in subspace for two days. He said, and now that's all she wants to do. But it was her first experience with needles. However, there is no rush like needles because they are very sharp. They bleed minimally. And if you know where to place them and how to do them, they're perfectly safe. I mean, the this you know that you people think oh well you know it's not this it's not that but I use sterile hospital grade needles mm-hmm. you know wipe down the entire field with ninety one percent rubbing alcohol to make sure it's as sanitary as possible I've never had anybody get an infection and like I said it looks ferocious and it looks fierce but they love it there's no rush like needles and that usually goes hand in hand with suspension I've noticed that people who really enjoy the needle play usually enjoy having doing the suspension from you know putting through the um, Oh, what are they called? I can't remember I, you know, what the heck they're called. But you put them through and then you suspend them literally from their skin, which sounds horrible. It sounds like, oh, my God, why would anyone do that? But the subspace that they go into from the suspension, from hanging, from those, it's it's not it's like a needle with a, um, it's got a round thing on it, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. So that, I that just is, can't think of what that the hell the name of it is. I hook. Not an eyelid, something like an, that. An yeah, eyelid, something an like eyelid, that. Uh, yeah, something like that. But the thing is, that's not that's not something that I do. Um, that's that's beyond. No, but that's what I mean. That usually, it will go hand in hand. People who like the needle play usually like the suspension play as well. But no, you wouldn't not, do but the not suspension necessarily. Play. That's well, a whole other I've, I've actually I've seen this once, and uh, I I've never I've never really seen it. So I can't tell you I can't tell you how prevalent it is, and I've never been asked to demo it. So I'm. I'm kind of. That's not a. It's not a subject. Because I think you need to be. It's more bondage oriented. Mm -hmm. Suspension is really more bondage oriented. You get into rope play. You get into like it's. It's kind of more of an offshoot. It's not really a medical-y kind of thing. Even though there's a bit of needle play in with it. I very rarely restrain my medical patients. Almost never. Really? Why wouldn't you? Wouldn't they like it? Well, here's the thing. When you go to the doctor, you know, I expect you to cooperate. I expect you to lay here no matter how much ah, it hurts good because point. I this is, it's good for you. You need this. It's for your health. So you have to make a sacrifice <laughs> and lay very still. It's it's more like mental bondage, but they do not move. And they're writing the outline it. of their entire body in sweat, but they will not move. It's really so it's, now, it's, what it's, are some it's of the interesting other how good they got, are at it. 
We've got sound devices, which we've covered. What about, say, a violet wand? Tell everybody what a violet wand is. Violet wand uses static electricity. It's, and it's uh, you have to hold one end of it so your submissive can drop it if the sensation gets to be too much. But it's like it's a shock, like scuffing your feet, feet across the carpet. Only it's a consistent that type of shock that you can put in anywhere on the body. And uh, it's, a lot of people find it very, very interesting. And uh, it's it's the same. Very erotic. Same a lot of guys love those. A lot of them. Yes. They do, but it, it's I, I consider it to be one of the safer forms of electrical play, along with a tens unit. Although you should still never put it put anything across the heart. Oh yeah, because, because again, I, I realize you, it's, and the scary part is about this, Amanda. Is honestly, you you say that and you think, oh well, surely to God, people wouldn't be that stupid. They are. Yes, no, no, yes so they are. Don't and ever every, think that don't people ever do it. Stupid. Don't ever think they will, because they will surprise you with their ignorance. Uh-huh. And one of the one of the questions uh, I saw that you had uh, put up on the website before was, you know, does someone have to be a nurse to be a medical practitioner? No, you don't. In nursing, there's a creed: see one, do one, teach one. If you are, prof- you know, I could teach anybody to be proficient with sounds in about eh, maybe an hour. It's uh-huh. not a difficult thing to learn. The same with gyno exams; I can teach anyone to do that in an hour or so. There is nothing that I do that I can't teach because nursing is, in many ways, designed to be passed down by see one, do one, teach one. Because for many years there weren't nursing colleges. It's like you know, if you wanted to be a nurse, you went to a teaching college. You started a four-year program to be a registered nurse, and you started out with lowest of the low, emptying bedpans. And they they gradually, over the course of your of your stay there, taught you what you needed, and then you took the board exam to be a registered nurse after you graduated from the program and, and had finished and completed all your clinicals and learned everything they went to teach you. Now there's much more book work into being an RN or an MSN than actual clinical stuff, and it's not taught the same way. But in teaching hospitals, they still do put you to work doing your clinicals in their hospital, and you do your book work and your classwork during the day. Okay. But it's not, it's, so it's, it's all not like it, it to, so. it, Well, it used to be like an apprentice-type yeah. training. But and now it's much more, more books, books, much more. Which because I think is stupid medic- because now you're not you're not learning the hands-on with it. It's not quite well. The people same. that do the I hands-on, mean, that the hands-on now is is done by uh, patient care techs, uh, uh, home health or not home health aides, but uh, certified nursing assistants, and uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, uh, licensed, licensed yeah. practical nurses. They they right. do more of the actual nursing care than say a registered nurse is going to do is going to have more responsibility and is going to know more about the biology and the pharmacology and you know more more so than just doing the procedure. Although procedures but you are don't still have a huge to part be a of nurse it. to do this, you you, you no, really you don't. don't. So I understand don't. that's not an issue but for you should. that want to get into it. You should apprentice. You should. You should apprentice with a good medical dom. I mean, yeah. I have had I have had people come to me. They said they had sounds with somebody else, and they go, "She just rammed it right in there." And I'm like, "You never <gasps> do that." I no, know, but that. you never do that because you can you <laughs> rupture somebody's urethra. They will they'll bleed to death. They will bleed to death, <clears throat> and then it's you and then it's you again. You know, murder too. Mm-hmm. So, people who don't know what they're doing shouldn't be doing this. If you don't have a, at least rudimentary knowledge of first aid and how to stop bleeding and you know, and a little, and your CPR. A little knowledge you know about what, what you're Dawn, doing. Really? You guys CPR, should have you should really know CPR CPR. if you're doing any Absolutely. of this anyways. Because if someone the, drops dead, you got to know what you're doing. That's right. So you put them on the floor and you start doing CPR. You do not stop until the ambulance gets there. And then when the, once the ambulance leaves, they're not your problem anymore and you did your best. And then exactly. they're alive to tell whatever story to whoever that is they need to tell it to on the other end. <laughs> but you know in your heart that you did your best for them. 
You know, but there are so many of you ladies out there that are just jumping into this and thinking, oh, well, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a bitch with a whip. Help. And I, so it's like, call it bitch with a whip syndrome. You, you can't. No, hook her with a riding crop. You've got to know what you're doing, girls. Don't just you assume do, you, you know what you're doing. You seriously injure somebody, and you know you're looking at you're looking at civil litigation and criminal charges. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not something you want to play with. Conversely, a lot of a lot of RNs that still hold that hold licenses to practice won't do this sort of thing because they know anything goes wrong, their license is gone, they can't make a living anymore, which is what what makes MedFit right. so really hard to find. It's too very risky. few nurses. Yeah. Are, very few nurses are willing to take the risk, which leads it to you know nurses who are retired, such as myself, and don't care. And, you know, people that say, well, you know, I read a book, I can do this. And it, that, that is never <laughs> the case. Would you like your surgeon to say that? I don't think so. I know. And, but people will people will do this. And, I and know. That, I mean, I've tried to explain things. People who ask me for off-the-wall medical stuff like castrations, you know, it always scares me because, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to do it because I'm a responsible practitioner. But don't but, look you know, for you someone get, who you give, will and there will be someone yeah, there you get, you give some, Yeah, exactly. You give $50 to the right crack horse, she will do anything. You know, slice your balls exactly. off, sure, no problem. You know, here, can you, exactly. Have, you know, let me smoke a little crack and I'll chop them right off. No worries. And that's just an. <laughs> I just can't understand why he bled to death. It's just so strange. You know, wow, sucks, man. Let me have some more crack. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I hate it. I'm losing more clients this way. I'm telling you. I mean, they, they don't know. No, no. <laughs> they don't call them clients, honey. <laughs> Not at that level. <laughs> They've got a much. I think well, that I'm sure they had do. something different, yeah. But you know, there's. So B has a question. Okay. Have any doms ever had to deal with a slave that has either had a mental issue like PTSD or physical limitations such as bad knees? That goes back into doing your your pre sort of exactly. exam your, your on your pre-op. client. Your pre, yeah, your pre, yeah, exactly. Your, your pre-session thing. Well, of course you're going to ask them because somebody who has, you know, has bad knees. Well, I'm not going to make them kneel on rice. That's too painful <laughs> for them. I don't want to hurt them. Exactly. You got, you know, if you've got bad knees, a bad back, I'm not going to have you carrying bricks for me all day long. That's just not going to happen. I'm going to tailor my session around your disability so that I can, so that you can get maximum enjoyment from your time with me. Because if you have maximum enjoyment with time with me, what's going to happen? You're going to come see me again. And again, it goes right back to, you know, I hate to put too fine a point on it, but this is a business like anything else. Just because I enjoy it and it's, you know, it's something I've enjoyed for many, many years doesn't mean it's still not a business and you have to take care of your clients. This doesn't mean you let them top from the bottom, but you do pay attention to their disabilities. Like, oh, you know, I've only got one leg. Well, you don't take their, you know, their wooden leg off and throw it in the corner and say, okay, run to me. You know, you just wouldn't. (laughs) But it was stupid. Come on now. Oh well, they're into humiliation. You know, I'm not, not going to go there. Well, it depends on how long. <laughs> I guess it depends on how long the prosthetic is. But uh, oh yes, I anyway, know. that's just my twisted mind. Well, I'm, I've got one twisted. It's pretty twisted too. But yeah, there's so many. There's no, so many fun ways to go with head. it. Pardon me. You have to use your head. Unfortunately, yes, not a lot of people do. And I'll take the PTSD. Yes, you will run into. The thing is, you, you run can into run into a. You can run, exactly. You can run into a sub who, with the PTSD, he doesn't even know he's got it. You could trigger something. You could trigger a past that's memory. The, that's the thing. This you is why take... you ladies cannot just read a book and do this. Exactly. And one of the one of the things that has, you know, in in almost thirty years, I have never had an incident with anyone 
anyone, and that it's, it's that is very. I'm very proud of that because I pay attention to my submissive. I watch their breathing. I see how they react to what I'm doing. And if someone, and you can tell, no matter how well somebody's trying to control it, if they're starting to freak out over something that you're doing, you know, you don't want to keep doing that because you push a trigger point, and they will kill you. They mm-hmm. will kill you. Anyone is capable of anything at any time. Yep. So you treat them with courtesy and respect. You respect their limits. You talk to them first, and you try to find out as much as you can going in because, believe me, your life can very well hang in the balance. There you not go. Not a pretty thought, Keep but it that happens. in mind. It's not. Yeah, your it's life can hang in the balance. Anything can happen at any time. Exactly. What, is, what are some of your of favorite things to do in a medical Well, I, there's, um, there's, there's just so many, so many things that you can do. Just a humiliating exam. Can be a lot of fun, you know. Tie your little tie your tie their ankles to the stirrups, and get in there with your devices, ratchet them open. You know, just a few disparaging comments here and there, like "Wow, this is really big." <laughs> you know, just little things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy needle play a lot because I'm very good at that. I enjoy sounds play a lot because I'm very good at that because I love the reaction that I get from that. Um, you can get some great reactions with enemas, though, depending on the volume, the solution, mm-hmm. and the speed of delivery. depends on how comfortable it be. I can run an enema that is so nice and comfortable that, you know, in 20 minutes it's one of the more your life's more enjoyable experiences, or I can one, run one that will leave you doubled up for days. Mm-hmm. It's You know, it's all in the solution, the amount, and how it's run. And there, there I've so said many this on the show many times. Please don't add alcohol. You can kill your patient. Exactly. Do not. Well, actually, you can. Do you can, but you got to know what you're doing. But the way to and the way to do it, I'm going to share that with you. The way to do it is you dilute it down, way down. For example, if someone wants a wine enema, I will use one of those little six ounce splits, and I will pour mm-hmm. that into a two. I will pour that six ounces of wine into a two quart bag. Okay. That's how that's how far down I dilute it, and by the mm-hmm. time they expel, they are still tipsy. But you give someone straight alcohol, it will go through, it will put them unconscious before they can expel it, and then they will die of alcohol poisoning. That's the bottom line. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do this and you want to take this chance, it's certainly your choice. But you must just remember dilute it way, way, way down. Remember, you can always add a little bit more. Exactly. You can't take it out. More, not easy to dilute after the whole thing's done. Exactly. That's exactly right. If they can't expel it before it poisons them, we're back to murder too. Because you you did it. You know. You know. You run it. You own it. Keep that in mind, um, you guys. Remember that you are liable for everything that goes on in your presence. That's exactly right. You're liable for everything goes on, and you're liable for them after they leave if you've done something injurious to them. Yeah, like if they and leave still tipsy and get in their car and go drive and kill somebody. And have an accident, guess, guess what? Yeah, because you gave them a wine enema, that's right, you're liable. Yep. Same as the DRAM laws, same as a bartender that's overserved somebody, you are liable. So you have to be careful about that. I never let I never let submissives come to me under the influence of anything. They're not allowed to use drugs in my presence. And you know, if I if I if I think that they are under the influence of alcohol or something, no, I will not I will not uh I won't do the scene with them. If I have someone who's extremely nervous, I might let them have one cocktail first, one. And I would pour it and I will measure it. And that is all. And that isn't for, that's for like extremely nervous first-timers. And I usually I don't have to do that either because when I talk to somebody, um, as every good nurse should, you must inspire trust and confidence in your patient so that they trust you because literally the skill in my hands is going to bring you a great deal of pleasure. 
But if you don't tell me what I need to know, then it won't be nearly as much fun. And this is how I approach it to him. The more you tell me, the better a session it's going to be because there's nothing you can say that's going to shock me or make me go, oh, my God, you're just a sick piece of crap. I would, you know, I would never say anything like that. It's like, okay, everybody has their own interests. Just because your kink is not my kink doesn't mean that you're not entitled to do it. And that's one of the things I've always loved about the community is the BDSM people are the most non-judgmental people you'll ever meet in your life. I mean, they truly live the lifestyle of tolerance and acceptance of other people who have different interests. There you go. It's so true. Or at least it's one we of the things I've to. always liked about it. There is a little it's bit of things I've always loved there about it. in the community, but there I would rather hang be. out. How much of a water enema is good to prepare for anal sex? Um, you actually uh for two That's more just an anal sex. douche. Pretty well, no, it's not exactly. What you need to do for you know to get cleaned up for anal sex, and I recommend this because feces can be very abrasive, and if you're pounding away, you're going to get raw very, very quickly. Both of you are, and then it's not going to be, again, it's not fun. So right. the best thing to do before anal sex, run a two-quart warm soapy enema, followed by a soap two-quart. Soap too? Put soap in? Uh, not, well, not tons of it, like maybe. Okay, but tell them half. how much, because if they go putting oh. a whole bun, they'll be doubled up. Oh, for no, no, no. Then, oh, God, for days. No. Like, for, for warm soapy <laughs> that animal. Whole and t- and t- ivory will sit right up no, there. God, no, God, exactly. no. No, no, no. No, seriously. Eh. No, no. Assume people are really stupid. Okay, for a two quart enema, you would put in like one teaspoon of liquid soap. There you go. Okay, not enough for it to make, you know, it should be slick but not sudsy. The soap will induce pure peristaltic action, and it will also soften up the feces. Then after you run that, you you will definitely want to do a rinse with some salt, you know, pour about a tablespoon of salt into the into the next two quarts of water to keep to keep uh, keep much water from being absorbed through the colon because you don't want to induce water poisoning. You know, and then you rinse with that because you want to get all the soap out so that the mucosa doesn't get irritated. And after that, you should be good to go no pun intended, for anal sex for uh, at least a day. So you don't have to do this like right before you start. You can do this like if, if you're planning to have anal sex that evening. If you do this about noon, you're going to be fine, and you're going to be good to go, and it won't be messy. I promise. That's one lunch hour. See? That... <laughs> Oh, my God. You know what? We're going to have to have you back on, Amanda, because seriously, this, like, we should, this is, like, such a huge topic. Like, we should actually sit down and dice it out into smaller pieces, because I know it's going to leave everybody I'd be happy to do that. (laughs) I'd be happy to do that. I'm seriously going to do that. I do have one question. Okay. Okay. And And that is, obviously, with medical play, you've got danger in what you can do to them, and also danger over bodily fluid exchanges. Um, mm-hmm. So people have, need to know what precautions they need to take for that. Well, universal ca- precautions are gloves, mask, and gown. However, um, when I when I first when I got my nursing degree, we didn't use gloves at all. And gloves today, or the, and the use of the overuse of gloves today in the hospital is why staff infections are rampant because everybody who walks in that room sticks their nasty, dirty patients, visitors, nurses, doctors, they all stick their nasty, dirty, unwashed hand into that glove box and they take out a glove that's dirtier than their hands. My clean washed hands, freshly washed hands, are cleaner than any glove you could ever find in any hospital. So anybody, if you're ever in the hospital, folks, this is really good advice. If you're ever in the hospital, doesn't matter who it is, you make them wash their hands before they come near you and if they want to put on gloves, you make them wash their hands with the gloves on because those gloves are so dirty. 
This will save your life. Trust me. No matter what, wash your hands. You don't you don't wash your hands. You don't touch me. Real simple, and just insist on it. If they say why, ask for a different say out. That is the best thing in the world you can do to protect yourself from a staph infection. And that and the gloves are the reason. I mean, you, they swab these nurses' hands because they don't, you know, they don't wash their hands anymore. Like, oh, I have gloves on. It's no big deal. Well, I have news for you. It is a very big deal. Everybody thinks the gloves are the be-all, end-all. That's the reason. And they are. But when you think now, about it I, logically, they're sitting in the room on the wall. Hello. Exactly. And everybody puts their hands in there. Everybody. And those gloves are nasty and disgusting. So you never, ever, ever use that. The best soap that you can use, by the way, in enemas is Castile soap. It's a it's an all natural vegetable based soap, and it's it's very non irritating to the uh, mucosa in the bowel, so it's the best one to use. It also comes with uh, in a mint with a peppermint additive, so it's uh, tingly and doesn't smell very bad. Ooh, refreshing, minty fresh. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you can you know, have okay. a minty fresh butt. Well, you know, I coffee like enemas it. are very popular now, too, because the theophylline and the theobromelene in the coffee, stimu- and along with the caffeine, stimulates the liver to dump toxins into the colon, and then they just rinsed out with, with the rinse enema, and it does a great detox. A lot of chemotherapy uh, centers and cancer centers are using this on chemo patients because it gets rid of the toxins left from, you know, the poisoning of the cancer, and it helps. it's helping their patients tremendously by detoxing their liver. So you start, you know, you do a coffee enema once a week, and you would be amazed at how energetic you feel. They're good for you. They're good for your health. Well, enemas in general are good for your health. They really yes, are. They are. Like you're cleaning they are. They've fallen out, out of favor. Quite good for you. Well, some of the solutions they use in the past, like for example, in back in the 1940s, everybody, everybody in the fall just before school got their enema because they all had pinworms, and I mean that enema was warm, was hot, soapy water, and a couple of tablespoons of turpentine. Whoa. Whoa, oh, that's right. I can't imagine, Lord have but, you know, but to kill the worms, just to make sure so you didn't take worms to school. I mean, this is what all the farm kids did because they played in all the, you know, oh in all the chicken poop Lord. and cow poop and everything. You know, so they all had pinworms. So, but a yeah. couple of tablespoons of turpentine in that animal will kill those pinworms. That does not. Oh my crazy. gosh! And mom, ma- moms in the forties and fifties are like, if it doesn't cramp, it's not working. <laughs> they were a little misguided back then. Owie. Yeah, you know, just when you're, when you're doubled up, I mean. And, Punishment enemas are, are also, you know, venomous can be a great punishment. You run a two-quart enema of milk and molasses, and I will, you will be doubled up for days. You will really? think you just got back. You think you'll, you'll think you just got back from a weekend in Mexico. Oh, oh my God. Milk and molasses will do that. Milk and molasses will do that. Believe me, I had one, I've had one client say, "Oh, I want to try one of those for a punishment enema," and I'm like, "Okay, fine." He never ever. I recommended against it. He said he wanted to try it. He never ever asked for another one. And I saw him. <laughs> I saw him the first Tuesday of every month for seven years, and he never asked for another one. <laughs> so well, wait, <laughs> remember, he being be careful for? what you wish for. Well, he—I don't know. Whatever, he, whatever he felt he did wrong. They all—they are—they all want to be punished for something. They're all reliving some sort of experience and trying to make it come out differently. Mm-hmm. That's, we yeah, have that's Luke really... on the line. Luke has a question for us. So, Luke, okay, Luke, what's your question? Yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm good. Very good. How are you, Luke? I'm very good. Uh, I would like to know if uh, there is some mistresses who uh, do injection of some kind of drugs, uh, not too much, uh, maybe not too dangerous, 
or a forced intox I, like poppers? I do injections of saline or lactated ringers because it's absolutely harmless, and I will inject up to four or five cc's. A lot of people do like like injections. And it's just it's just part of the doctor's exam, you know. You get your you get your humiliating exam, and you get your shot. And five cc's of sterile saline or five cc's of lactated ringer, one in each cheek, is not going to injure anybody. I've also done scrotal inflations with up to a full liter of sterile saline, which will give you a very large a very large sack. And it's amazing. It is amazing that the, you know the the scrotal sack will stretch to the size of bigger than a grapefruit. If it's now, if you infused, keep stretching the scrotum, will it eventually take that shape? It won't take that like shape, doing per se, this but, it, but the skin will get the skin will get looser get all loose. the time. Yeah, yeah, just like skin is very stretchy. It's like if you have if you lose a chunk of your scalp, what they'll do is they'll put a, a saline extender under your scalp and they'll fill it up with more saline every week, so that your scalp your skin will actually grow when it's being stretched. That's the nature of skin. And eventually you will grow enough skin and scalp tissue that you will be able to close the wound and have your hair back because they put these extenders underneath your scalp to stretch the skin and stretch the hair follicles. And that's a that's a standard medical procedure. Well, I think Luke was, because uh, Luke is still with us. Luke, you mean, yeah. do you, are there any doms out there who will inject you with, say, morphine or something yeah. along that line? If I right. If you've got a prescription for it, um, you know, you can get anybody to do just about anything. But if you've got, uh, let's say you're a diabetic and it's time for your insulin shot, then I don't have any problem sticking sticking it to you. I'd I'd prefer I drew it up because I don't like to stick anything I don't draw up. But it's not a big deal. It's not a licensed procedure to do that, as long as they don't expect you to be licensed. And by this I mean, let's say you came to me and said, oh, you know, I want you to operate on my finger. And I say, well, you know, I'm not licensed anymore. And they go, well, that's okay. I know that. So they go into this with no expectation of professional ability because I told them I didn't have a license. On the other hand, if you hold yourself out to be license and you stick them with morphine and you kill them, then you are practicing medicine without a license and you are in big trouble for killing them too because you've just injected them with something that you didn't know how to do, so it's negligent homicide or worse. Yeah, and what about poppers? Pardon me? Poppers are... Again, if you have a prescription for them, then that's fine. And if you, I don't, I don't allow people to use drugs in my sessions because you never know. You sniffing a popper, you have a heart attack. Okay, well, you did it, but I've still got, I've still got, I'm still the one that's got to face the consequences. You got a dead body on your hands, yeah. Well, or worse, you know, a live one that's going to come back and sue me. Um, Thank you very much. No problem. But it's just not something you want to do. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, I think well, in different. Luke's case, what he was thinking of is more along the lines of, are there DOMs out there that do forced intox? If they do, mo- they're not going to do them usually I'm sure there are. in a real-time sure. session, not very often. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, do, there, I'm sure there are DOMs that do, that do this, but I'm not one of them. And it's not something that falls, you know, it's not something I would do and it's not something I would recommend because we've all got to be careful out there these days. There's, some just, there's just so many laws, and as we know, they're all listening to us now. Mark, should you try poppers once? Um, I don't recommend that people do poppers. People come to me, me when they're talking to me on the phone, and they will be doing them, and I will recommend, just remember, every time you do that, you're frying brain cells. Do I think you should do them? No. Do people do them? Yeah. But yeah, they do. But like anything else, do people do cocaine and heroin? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's out of that's really that's out of my control. I prefer they yeah. didn't, obviously, but there's nothing there's nothing I can do about it. If, but if they are noticeably intoxicated or under the influence when they arrive, and I can pick up on it, they're in the influence, then I will not see them. I want you to be sober to appreciate what I'm going to do. I worked hard to learn how to do this. And I want you to be exactly. fully coherent of everything I'm going to do because I'm the one that's going to control your pleasure and your enjoyment for the duration of this session, not something you ingested before you got here. And the other thing is you guys don't seem to realize is although you think that it heightens it, it actually in many cases, depending on the drug, it. is going to diminish what you're feeling. So use your heads. That's right. All, both of them. You're cheating yourself. So that's exactly right. Show up sober. Enjoy the sensations. Well, Amanda, I really appreciate you being on. Like I said, we're definitely going to get you back on, and we'll get into this even more. Tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at www.pro-dominatrix.com. And then my email address, if you have questions, is cougardom, C-O-U-G-R-D-O-M-M-E, at AOL.com. And you can find me there at all times. And you can also find her on Twitter at Dom. That's me. Hashtag Cougar Dom. That's me. And if you really want to find her, the fast and easy way is just go to inbedwithdrsue.com, head to the show pages. All of her links are right there. So thank awesome. you so much, Amanda. That. Really do appreciate you I'll come you back anytime you like, here. Thank you. Let me know. <laughs> My pleasure. Yay! Have a great evening. <laughs> Bye. So, cool or what? I just thought that was so interesting. What do you think, Joe? I thought that was very And I think we could definitely do like a ton of like shows around different aspects of it. Hello. I personally think um as a vanilla girl, it was fascinating yet cuz I'm not into it. It was very scary, especially the needle part. Uh, it was actually making but me kind of nauseous. But remember, you don't if if you have a fear of needles and you don't want to overcome it. So in other words, if if it's something where you actually have a fear of needles, she's not going to make you go through that. No, I know, but you know I what I mean. mean so like, it just oh, I was like oh, not feeling very good over here. So oh, <laughs> you're getting all squeegee, <laughs> squeegee. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So just the mention of well, needles, huh? We're gonna run over. No. We're gonna keep running over. I don't know what we're gonna do. Anyways. Because we have talked to the doc questions because those need to be done for sure. Because some of them are from last week. So, Joey has the first one. Brian writes, I called in last week, but my problem is a little different than Joe described. Bless him for trying for me. My story is I started researching cuckolding over a year ago and learned about cream pies. I'm into humiliation and this became a fantasy for me. I made remarks during sex like I... If I came without permissions, would I have to clean it up, and she would play along with my remarks. This would trigger me to come very quickly and without much control. I am turned on greatly by dirty talk. Well, after I would orgasm, I would lose motivation to do the deed, and she thinks it is a bit gross. So I have never acted out this fantasy, and I am stuck in this loop. Ever since then, when we have sex, this fantasy pops in my head, and I orgasm after a few minutes. How do I get out of this loop other than going through with the fantasy because I still feel it will still affect me? How do you break a loop? you got to actually, when you're in the loop, break it by thinking something different, which is the only way you're going to be able to break that. Um, and like you said, otherwise 
go through with it, see if you like it. You might, you might not. It doesn't sound like either one of you really, you know, it sounds like it's more of a fantasy than you really want to do it. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting that she's not really into it and he's kind of like, well, it's a really, it's a really cool fantasy. The other thing is, why can't you leave it as a loop that's going in your head? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with leaving it as fantasy so that when you're having sex, it feels good? Like it's, well, I think he, you know he, what I mean? he, he orgasms too quickly because it's in his head. Oh, he's orgasming oh. too quickly. Well, if he's orgasming too quickly, then we got to pull the spot right out of his head. That's the only thing we can do, which Base, is we need to baseball. replace it. Baseball. We need to re- <laughs> <laughs> Some guys get off on baseball, though. Uh, well. No, you just what you need to do is replace it with something else. When I realize that's easier said than done, but you're going to have to poke around and see if you can find something that is just as erotic or not maybe just as erotic, but close to it. But honestly, it all comes down to mental conditioning when you're doing something like that. So if you don't want to think about it, you know, dead kittens, like Jen said, <laughs> um, it, it, your grandma naked, I don't oh, know. Depending you know. On the oh, oh, no, no call for that. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. There's, there's no call for that. Sure there is. Like- it works. I actually would like to throw in my two cents here. Do it. Um, in that he's coming really fast because he thinks he's in this loop, and obviously when he comes, it's just creating a, a cycle. Um, thinking about something else, yeah, it's good, but it's like you know, trying to not think about pink elephants. Suddenly, you're thinking about pink elephants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have this symptoms a lot of times in the hypnosis community. Um, a lot of times um, you can try thinking about it on your own when you're not in sex and not about to orgasm, and you become desensitized a bit to it, and it can actually help, you know, it extend it. So that don't is, masturbate to the fantasy, whatever you do. Right. That is, you know, it's it's a hot fantasy for you, but, you know... Like most people, after they have a hot fantasy a few times in their head, they kind of get bored with it. And the other thing you can do if you want to do a little tiny bit of NLP with it is, if you really want to get rid of it, think of it, and then think of something that makes you sick. And it's that, it is actually that simple. You can put your thumb and your middle finger together at the same time, and then if you want to feel sick, you can put your thumb and your middle finger together. But that's just if you want to take it to that degree. I don't think you need to. Oh, so I think, I think, yeah, I think you can just just as easily, you know, it, well, think about goes, it when you're not doing any, like like overstimulate yourself with it in a non-sexual way. Uh-huh. Think just about it un- when you're not doing anything, like Joe said. Un- unanchor it to that sexual feeling, which is right. exactly what you're talking about, where you're just throwing in something else. Uh, but basically, it sounds like, again, going back to you know a constant theme, reality doesn't quite match fantasy sometimes. Yes, and please remember that. That's true. <laughs> you could also just, turn around and do the whole cream pie thing, and you're just going to go, oh, God, I'm going to be sick. And the reason why after you you know have that ejaculation and you're like, I don't want to do it now <laughs> – Plain and simple. You've just ejaculated. You've just sent a flood of hormones through your system, and you're not submissive for the next 45 minutes. So, of course, you're not going to want to do it. 
But that's so really, bringing, really that's you'd have to force back. yourself to do it anyways. Yeah, that's bringing the loop back. It's it's not yeah not helping. Okay, and again, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried uh, my best to describe the problem last time. So. Oh, he, he's very sweet, and and you know, like hopefully we got it right this time, and hopefully what we said can help him out a little bit. What have you got? I have Brian. Or sorry. Sorry. No, you don't. Robert, I'm sorry. You don't have Brian. We just had <laughs> Brian. We had Brian for dinner. We have Robert. Dear Dr. Stu, I recently discovered your blog show and have really learned a lot in a short period of time. I have two quick questions for you. One, you made me realize that I'm not submissive 100% of the time because I don't desire to serve all the time, but I do believe that I am inferior to women 100% of the time. I know not all women are superior than me, but I would say a majority of women are superior. So, is being inferior different than being submissive? And two, can women tell I think I am inferior just by looking at me? I don't expect you to answer this one because I know it is a waste of your time. Okay, Okay, Robert, first of all, don't ever say that something is a waste of my time because if you ask the question, clearly you want an answer to it. It makes it a viable question. I don't care what the question is. That's the whole point of this segment. You can ask whatever you want, no judgment. So, first of all, you're not 100% submissive all the time. Very few people are. Very few. Same as we're not always dominant all the time either. Um, So the fact that you are inferior doesn't necessarily – submission and inferiority are going to be two completely different things. You can feel inferior, but you're not going to submit to them. So, and can a woman tell if you're inferior? Not in, I don't think that's fair. Like, I think inferior isn't the right word. Can a woman tell if you're submissive? Uh-huh. Um, we can watch your mannerisms. We can watch how you speak. You, I, I mean, we do that all the time, don't we? We're yep. just like, you just look at them, oh, totally submissive. Inferior? No. Can a woman look at you and and say, oh, he thinks he's inferior to women? Absolutely not. Not unless you have the discussion. Because inferiority is really, it's not a, uh, what's the best word I'm thinking of? Submission is really more like a state or a feeling. And although inferior is too, it's more of a high, uh, it's not working. Well, I mean, I think that it's more of a hierarchy and you're not, it doesn't make you submissive just because you recognize that you are beneath women. I don't think that necessarily makes it submissive. The two don't necessarily go hand in hand. For question number two, I think he's confusing confidence with inferiority. That's what I'm thinking, too. That, like it's like inferior is, isn't working for some reason. Right. But, I mean, women can tell whether or not you're confident or not. But oh, hell yeah. This, oh, then, then yes, absolutely the answer is that. But just because you're inferior doesn't mean that you have to not be confident. They do not go hand in hand. Uh-huh. The same thing with submission. And you submission. can be confident and still feel inferior. Oh, absolutely. And the same thing with submission. I mean, it, you can be inferior and not submit. That is exactly. the classic David and Goliath story. That's the underdog we all root for. The person right. that is in a completely inferior position, tactically, physically, mentally, whatever, and still is not bowing down and submitting to it. And in fact, in that case, in the case of David and Goliath, you have, you know, inferior now becoming dominant and taking over. So see, it's it's not, that's why inferior doesn't really work, 
when it comes to BDSM. It doesn't, it doesn't. It works on a female supremacy basis, but even that, I, that's what I mean. I don't, I, like you said, I think he's confusing it with confidence because I just don't think inferior is working for some reason. But no, can someone tell you're inferior? No, no, absolutely not. Submissive, yes. So if you're wondering if people are looking at you and going, he's inferior to women, no, not going to happen. But he may look at you and go, wow, he looks like a little subby guy. Well, um, you unless you're really a female, if you're really a female supremacist that thinks all men are inferior, then the answer is yes, obviously. Well, yeah, like, I mean, it depends Just on who you're, you're male, talking you're inferior. That's why it's next. relative. <laughs> right. Inferiority is kind of relative to who you're speaking to. It's a it's, it's a fine line. That's why it, it works and it doesn't work. Sir Beastie, my Sir Beasties, who here who is here in the chat room, actually had a comment last week that I didn't get a chance to say with our female supremacy um, show. He said, "Well, isn't female supremacy just like male supremacy, more a fallacy, or is that yours?" Oh, okay. Um, no one gender can truly be superior to the other as both have pluses and minuses. Now, for myself, I tend to personally think that when it comes to fetish and kinks, everyone has the right to do what they want, so long as it doesn't involve children or animals. Well, yeah, no kidding. Um, again, safe, sane, consensual. Um, I, I, you know, like, this is why I have a problem with the word supremacy. I think supremacy has a very negative connotation to it. And I think that's the reason why I don't like using it when describing myself, just because we have that whole, you know, the Nazi thing, and it just, you've got skinheads that are kind of doing wrong with the word. I just don't like it because I personally think that, you know, there's a lot of female supremacists who think that men need to be extinguished, and I don't think that's true. So it just kind of depends who you're talking to. But Michelle, who wrote me a really lovely email about our female supremacy show last week, wanted to know how I arrived at my female supremacist views. So rather than emailing it back to her, I figured it would be easier if I did this since we're discussing all this right now. Um, Again, do I think of myself as a female supremacist? No. Superior? Do I think women are superior to men? Yes. So I'm more like a female superior re person <laughs> superiorist <laughs> making up words as we go so no i grew up in a very dysfunctional household probably one of the most dis- dysfunctional households imaginable my father wasn't around a lot so my mother was basically the one that was raising my sister and i i got more of my dominance from my sister than my mother surprisingly enough my sister who was sexually abused as a child learn to become extremely dominant in order to tackle that. So watching her and how she would take people on was sort of the way I watched, and then slowly getting into, you know, finding out about it on the side, you know, running into dominatrixes, and then I started getting into it that way. But as far as do I think men should be extinguished? No, absolutely not. You know, do I think men are inferior to women? To a degree. Yes, I do. I think there are biological reasons for that. I think history has proven that men are idiots when it comes to certain things. Hello, war. Um, 
there's a lot of things that need to be changed and a lot of things that I think if a woman was in there, you know, say, for example, in a position of power, as in president, maybe, I'm not saying it would work, because for some reason, since we've noticed this with Obama, it seems to be that when you get into the presidential seat, one drinks Kool-Aid and doesn't come back. So it's almost impossible to say. Would I, I think a woman could do better? Yes, I do. Do I think women naturally do better? Yes. Um, it's just something where it's just, it's, it's just more or less a personal viewpoint. It's just something that I've watched. I think I love men. I, you can't do what I do for a living and not love men. But I don't – it's like they're good for some things and they're not good for other things. Let's put it that way. So I'm kind of sitting where Sir Beast is, that I think they all have their pluses and their minuses. I just think guys have more minuses than pluses. So that's the easiest way to say it. But how now did I come that, to that viewpoint? It, it took that, time. Is that shaped more because most of the guys that you have interactions with are, like, fucktards? What did I did I no, I don't think so because a lot of that came prior to doing any psychological work with these guys. So that viewpoint was really solidified before I started in doing getting into the psych work of fetish. So yeah, do I talk to an enormous amount of disturbed males? Yes, I do. Which is why you'll find that I go quiet for a couple of days because I really do need to cleanse myself of the goo because you really do take a lot in. So it's just you normally just kind of shut down and I will go do something that I like to do and be quiet about it because it's like I don't want to live in that world. Because, yeah, do I talk to a lot of very, would I say, crack-ass crazy people? Uh-huh. Um, some of them are certifiable. Some of them I have called in and said, we need to get this person help. And I know it doesn't go anywhere, which is a shame. But, you know, do I think that is what formed my cuz i don't i don't like looking at it as far as men are concerned as negativity i'm not negative towards men i don't look at them and go oh you disgust me that not unless you're doing something that grosses me out it's, and there's a lot of women who when they look at female supremacy that will just be like oh men are just disgusting pigs and i don't feel that way not all of them some of them are but not all of them so there you go so that was the reason why I did, you know, I can't, is it something that was an epiphany that I woke up and went, oh, no. It was a gradual thing between the domination and seeing what I saw growing up and being exposed to different things. It was just an opinion that slowly formed over time. So it wasn't like, like I said, it wasn't an epiphany where you just kind of went, oh, yes, I'm so much better than anyone else. No, it doesn't work that way. So some people have epiphanies about it, but I didn't. Sorry. would have been nice if it was some sort of really cool thing that happened, but it wasn't. So I have a one last quick one, really one last quick one. Uh, I have an anonymous person who wrote, I have been married to a beautiful woman for five years, but she would rather I stab her in the neck than go down on her. That's quite visual. Um, She swears that she was not sexually abused, but she cannot be comfortable around me. She jumps up immediately after sex and puts on clothes. 
and would rather die than be seen in a sexual light. She's not religious. He wants to know, am I a dick or is there something seriously wrong with her? There is something seriously wrong with her. Um, I would tend to think what she needs is therapy. She needs to find herself a good psychologist or psychiatrist because there's something there. Something has, she may know what it is and not tell you. She may figure she can just push it away forever and ever. You know, it, it, the problem is women have learned to bury things and just say, it's okay, I'll just keep going. And they end up paying for that dearly later. So do I think she should go and see someone? Yes. Do I think you can get her to? Possibly not. The problem is most people who really need the help don't admit that they really need the help. So you're up against kind of a, a tough call. You're not going to know. If she's not willing to tell you what the problem is, she could have self-esteem issues. She could have, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that she has to have had some sort of horrible sexual thing happen to her. It could just be revolve around body image. You know, it could be a dysmorphic disorder where she thinks she is absolutely disgusting and doesn't want anyone to see her that way and doesn't want anyone going near her. And she could have that. There's a lot of women that can't stand the look of vaginas. Like, they're just like, ugh, so they don't want you anywhere near it. So, it's again, it's it sounds more like a dysmorphic disorder that needs to be checked into. So the only way you're going to be able to do that is to go and get her some kind of psychological help. And whether or not she will do that is obviously strictly up to her. And then you're back to... Well, is this something that you want to live with for the rest of your life? Because if she's not willing to get help and sex is that horrible, it's a big portion of your relationship. So then you have to sit there and you have to make that decision as to whether or not you're going to keep your relationship going. What What is your own personal line in the sand? So five years, you've been putting up with it for five years. Yeah, they've been married for five years. Has this been getting progressively worse, or...? I know that he doesn't say. I mean, obviously, he married her with knowing this, or...? I would assume. That's what it sounds like. So you would think that they would know this prior to getting married. So that's what I mean. Is it that all of a sudden you're reaching your line in the sand, or all of a sudden you really want to fix this? It's kind of hard to say. Well, it sounds like he's so, been doing some depression as well, <laughs> and mm-hmm. how it's catching up with him. Well, it is. Yeah, obviously, he's just like, okay, you know what, I cannot take this anymore. Because he's going to also be looking at it as he's doing something wrong. You know, she doesn't love me. So it's it's a tough position to be in. So, just, yeah, I think both of you, actually, go for marriage counseling. Go both of you together. Maybe she would do it if you went with her. It definitely so find sounds someone like they who have specializes in sexual issue. disorders. Definitely sounds like What's they that? have a communication It sounds like they have a communication issue. Could be. Could be that she just refuses to tell him. She's not comfortable telling him what it is. Again, it, it's it's a tough call. So I would suggest getting some kind of psychological help. For both of you, what the hell? It doesn't hurt. Just because, and let's get this through everyone's head. Just because you go and see a shrink doesn't mean you're crazy. This is 2013, people. And more than anything else, more than we need gun laws and anything else, we need more mental health. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Awareness. 
we need well we need more professionals. Oh, speaking of which, you have a nice announcement. He's like, I don't remember the announcement. What did you tell me yesterday? Guess who's accepted BDSM finally? Not that I care. Oh yes, the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual version five is out, which is the diagnostic bible of shrinks and or anyone in the psychiatric field. In theory, in theory, folks, this means that hopefully more psych officials, like more psychologists and more psychiatrists, are going to be stop looking this as as deviant behavior, and hopefully will now start studying it more, so that you can go and discuss it with somebody who gets it. In theory, so it just okay. It's 2013. They've just now decided that BDSM is okay. Think about that for a minute. This is why I hate I hate anything to do with academics. It just drives me nuts. So there. So that's the end of our show, folks. Um, thank you. I want to thank, please, please, and carrots. Thank you to um, Mistress Amanda, of course, for being here. And we are definitely going to get Mistress Amanda back again because she is just a wealth of information. And I know we just scratched her little surface tonight. So our next show is next no, no, our next show is not next week. Our next show is Tuesday, July the 9th, because we're back on our every two-week schedule, when I will be joined by the ever-stunning T.S. Foxy. So if you are a Foxy fan, you're not going to want to miss your chance to call in. And this is the, she has won the 2013 AVN Award. That's AVN, there's like the Oscars. Come on now, the Oscars of porn. So a 2013 AVN Award, she's won a 2013 Tranny Award. She has a lot of fans. So you can read about Miss Foxy on InBedWithDrSue.com. You can just head over there if you are a fan or if you just want to know what she looks like because she's absolutely gorgeous. She's gorgeous. So next Tuesday, July the 9th, 10 o'clock. T.S. Foxy. I want to thank Joe. Thank you, Joey, for being here. Thank you. I'd like to thank Luke for calling in. Yes, thank you, Luke, for calling in. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us this evening. Thank you. And everyone in the chat room, Mark and Mistress Peyton and Sir Beast and Queen Kitty and Madam Devilish and Muffy. And this is where I do my, my romper room. And Firecracker and Howie. Thank you all for supporting the show, and thank you for listening and supporting the show. Don't forget to tell your friends about it. Get them listening, too. Remember, guys, keep an open mind, never judge, and my number one rule, always be happy. Good night, everybody. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.